Cards and Cubes is a board game podcast, as the intro will tell you in just a minute. We surround ourselves with board games and board game information, so much that we've accidentally become sort of experts on the topic, and that's why we have this show. So when things happen outside the world of board games, we still just talk about board games. However, right now is really not the time to be silent, and if we were we would feel part of the problem. So at the very least, we felt we should state where we stand. So we talked before we hit record. And right now, and only right now, I'll be speaking on behalf of Cards and Cubes as a whole. We at Cards and Cubes stand with Black Lives Matter and welcome the much-needed, much-overdue change that is complete, honest, and actual equality in America. I will say it again, Black Lives Matter. Thank you for hearing us out. Now on with the show. You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we will be talking about some games played, followed by some games that we're looking forward to. Our topic this evening will be BGG and other online board game resources, and our top three favorite party games. This is episode 23, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Justine. They have Scooby-Dude Betrayal at House on the Hill. Have you guys heard about this? No. no, but actually my immediate reaction is that sounds awesome because that's exactly what Scooby-Doo is actually. And it's, yeah, it's going to fit really well. That's true, right? It's just a whole bunch of different cases they're trying to solve. So it's called Scooby-Doo in Betrayal at Mystery House. So this got me thinking, is there a theme that they can paste onto Betrayal that would make you guys buy this game or rebuy it if you already own it? No. <laughs> yeah, maybe I like sci-fi. I'm thinking of all these sci-fi movies, um, or maybe something post-apocalyptic. I think the game is actually fine as is. Like the theme is actually probably one thing that carries it for me. Uh, what my so-called problem is is it's just so freaking random. However, I am going to talk about another game that's quite random on my games played, which actually I'm also not sure I like, so that's, I don't know. Uh, but the game itself is fine. I don't know if the theme is really going to take it to another level for me. Um, if someone else brings it and everyone wants to play it, I'll join in, but it's not much of a game as far as I'm concerned. It's just kind of an experience. Just kind of go and have fun. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like, I've played Betrayal once, and I enjoyed my experience with it. Um, I just, I don't know that a theme would really fix it. Although Scooby-Doo might do that for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't grow up watching Scooby-Doo, but my brother did, so I kind of also did as well. It just wasn't, I wasn't seeking it out. So, I, if they themed it with 80s horror movies like actual 80s horror movies and this would be really expensive and it wouldn't be ever done because they would have to license all these movies but if they did like popular ones as far as unpopular ones too like nightmare on elm street and say like terror vision uh i would immediately buy that game and not even care 
if they've changed anything about it other than the theme. But that's just me. Uh, the Scooby Doo one is is pretty cool. I don't know if I'll buy it, but I would I would I would like to try it. And I would imagine that it's like a hundred or fifty or so more haunts that are different from the base mm-hmm. game. Yeah. I was never a huge fan of Scooby-Doo. I kind of watched it just because it was in between other things that I liked more. Uh, I don't know. It was just too kind of cheesy and simplistic for me even as a child, actually. But uh, it, was, it was fun. It was kind of fun. I kind of get it. Uh, I think the theme is just so perfect, though. That's just like it's such a perfect fit uh, that it's going to be pretty fun. I think I might try it if someone else brings it. It really is. I but- loved Scooby-Doo. Yeah, there's so many different ones too. There's so many. Like mm-hmm. I think every decade has it had its own Scooby Doo. My wife hates it. She's like, "How do they keep getting fooled? Like, why wouldn't by the fifth one they're like, not like hey, this is probably a prank, not like go 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 ghost." But I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. We have played some games, and we will talk about it now. Starting with Risto. All right, I've been playing some uh, really kind of interesting player elimination games in the last couple of weeks. That's kind of the theme for me. (laughs) Uh, Clank Legacy, uh, I I died a couple of times over the last two games, and it wasn't so much fun. One of them was justified, the other one was just really bad luck, I think. And I played Nemesis a couple of weeks ago. It was my second playthrough. I the first playthrough I wasn't sure what I thought about that game. Uh, the second playthrough I'm kind of more so- certain what I think about the game, <laughs> which is it's actually very similar to Betrayal. I think it's kind of an experience game. Um, I think there's not much game there. You go in and you have fun, and uh, it's really random. Not just like the game. The elements are random, like there's dice rolling and stuff, but also just the overall goal that you have is kind of random and it can work out or not at all. You start with uh, the theme of the, the game is you're, you wake up in a ship spaceship and the spaceship is falling apart uh, it's kind of like alien basically inspired uh, heavily inspired by alien i'm not sure if nemesis i don't think that's the name of the ship but they didn't really get any licenses i think but you can just kind of see it uh, so basically you wake up from a, in a cryo chamber and you are kind of dizzy so you don't remember and then the layout of the ship or where the rooms are so you have to explore where the rooms are and they're completely different and you have an objective which is basically the entire game is you're trying to fulfill an objective. For example, my objective was uh, find the nest, which is one of the rooms, uh, get an egg out of it, get it to this lab, scan it, and survive. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Most of the objectives are survive as well. Um, there's several ways to survive. The, the ship is going somewhere, so you can set the destination in this captain's uh, bridge or whatever. And the uh, the ship uh, has three engines and at least two of them have to be working for it to actually move Uh, and there's a self-destruct room basically all this uh, sci-fi tropes but um, like I say the game is completely random it could be going towards the completely different direction you can have some really bad luck and just get screwed and die or you can have a really easy time Um, then it's just really really random Uh, overall it's fun I think um but it's fun as an experience, I think, once in a while. I'm not sure if there's much game there, really. 
Um, yeah, the game also kind of goes on for a while. That's something I don't like about it so much. Uh, it looks kind of simple or straightforward, and it should be, in my opinion. I think once you get used to it, it should be like an hour and a half game. However, maybe because of tabletop, maybe because of confusion and rules explanations, our last couple of playthroughs have been like over three hours, which is just kind of ridiculous for uh, a game of that kind. Like imagine playing something like Betrayal for three hours. That's kind of what it felt like. Uh, but overall, my impressions are kind of not really that negative. I think for me, the theme kind of uh, props it up. Up a little bit if it was a fantasy themed game i probably wouldn't even look twice um, at it uh but it's kind of interesting would i buy it i'm kind of glad i didn't buy it actually uh, uh one interesting thing about the game is it had a rules revision uh the kick kickstarter rules i think were completely changed in some ways and i think for the better uh Previously, they were, I think, even more random and weird. Uh, so they changed the rules like completely over a year and a half since the Kickstarter was presented. So I looked at the original Kickstarter and I wasn't impressed. And with the revised rules, I was like, cool, maybe I should have backed it. But no, I, I think I'm fine probably playing someone else's copy if it appears. If not, I'm probably fine skipping on the game. Um, it's basically just like a very themed go in kind of mess around kind of game uh maybe you die and it's funny and actually that's what happened with me is something very unlikely happens and i died like a chain reaction of i got infected and then there's a card which happens at the end of every round which is like one of 15 or something that just kills you if you're infected and you can't even you can fix it in a surgery room but i didn't make it obviously um, and there was a dice roll, which was extremely unlikely before that. So it was kind of funny. But yeah, that's the other big problem with it is it does have player elimination. And yeah, it's unlikely that you will die very quickly. But there is a room where someone can just like vent you out of it uh, in space. And it, again, extremely unlikely for that to happen. But uh, I've heard of uh, someone we were playing with was saying it happened to someone uh, they were playing with on the first round of the game. So imagine like three hour game and you're out on the first round, kind of a bad time. Um, so yeah, that's Nemesis for you. Nostromo. Um, not, not super impressed. Uh, Nostromo is, I think, the ship, isn't it? Yes, yes. Nostromo yeah, is yeah, the yeah. ship so, in Alien. I, I think they were trying to probably make a very close game to Alien, maybe even hoping to get licenses, but they didn't actually i think there was some controversy about how it was so close to alien that they were thinking they're gonna get the game shut down because of copyrights and stuff but i guess they didn't in the end uh, there were some rumors that uh, the alien franchise will just shut them down but does the aliens that. look very similar to the movie yeah yeah they have like tails and they look all like black and stuff so yeah okay they're very similar there's not just one alien though there's like a queen there's a breeder there's the adults larva and like all there's like six years of them but they're very inspired by the design i mean if you look at last friday it is friday the 13th straight up he's the killer's name yeah. isn't like my uh Jason Voorhees, it's just the maniac, but he's got a mask on. He has the same build. It's at a, you know, it's at a lake uh, camp. Um, so I think they could get away with a lot of these things if they come close, but don't name anything similar, right? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, if they had just started a lawsuit with them, I think they'd probably just give up just because the Alien franchise is probably so like wealthy and can afford lawyers and yeah. kind of bankrupt you with the cases. So they just kind of didn't bother, I guess. Why go after such a small company too compared to like Hollywood, you know, like a board game yeah. publisher? Like, yeah. Okay, so this week I got a chance to pull out Gaia Project again. It's been a little bit since I played it. Um, and I got to play Terra Mystica as well, but I'm going to talk mostly about Gaia Project. It was a really interesting experience because I have not played games on the heavier side for the past little while, but Matt's kept up using like board game arena. So it was interesting to see like how my I don't know. My thinking was a lot slower. I made a ton of mistakes. I'm hoping that my next time playing, I'll be right back to where I used to be. But it was a really interesting experience. Um, I think I like Gaia Project as a two-player game better than Terra Mystica as a two-player game, just because the board's smaller, so you don't have to fiddle with our variant of having two races that you control. Um and I think I like the openness of Gaia Project a little bit more than Terra Mystica. Matt will kill me, but that's kind of how I feel about it. It was a really fun game. We ended up playing with two random races and then auctioning for who got what. And I thought I got the better deal, and I was horribly, horribly wrong. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting to play that some more um, with just Matt. And then also once we are able to get back together as a group. I like Guy Project. It's a good game. I like both, and they feel different. Like you say, Guy Project's more open, and just whatever I feel like uh, is what I feel like playing. Oh, yeah. I still really love Terra Mystica. It's a great game. I just think Guy Project slightly better as a two player game than Terra Mystica. I was looking at rankings for no reason, whatever, and like I think they totally deserve being like, what is it, seven and 15 or something? It's something like that. They're up yeah. there. So for anybody that says we play games too much, we have to, or we'll get rusty, right? Oh yeah, definitely. You'll you'll get pretty rusty. All right. So I, I recently picked up the second edition of Stop Thief that came out recently. So Stop Thief is by Restoration Games. If you don't know Restoration Games, they take old games and they restore them. So they take these like nostalgic games that some of us grew up with and they bring it back up to like modern day uh, levels. Uh, the original Stop Thief was 1979 and it was designed by Dr. Robert Doyle, who interesting enough was a rocket scientist, but left NASA to create electronic games. So we actually talked about him in episode nine when we covered the topic technological advances in board games, because he did like Codename Sector and the electric talking battleship. But anyway, <clears throat> Restoration Games, that was their first, and now they've done a second uh, edition of it. So what does the second edition add? It adds four ways to play. So you can play it solo, cooperative, competitive, and one verse mini. Um, what is the game? Well, it's a hidden movement game that the device is playing 
the hidden player. And it's deductive because you're trying to deduce where these uh, robbers are that are going around the city. And there's four buildings. And they were going from outside to inside, breaking windows, going through doors. And all the deduction is done with sound. And depending on what sound you hear, that's what type of space they're on. And if you knew where they were coming from, you could kind of follow a trail and kind of deduce where they could be. So the funny part is, is that the, the app comes with the retro version of the game. All right. So the retro version, they just had this handheld plastic battery operated device that you pass around and you in the in the game. Now it's an app, obviously. And you press get a clue at the beginning of your turn and it will make like a like the sound of breaking glass. And that means they're on a window space, a creaky door opening. That means they're on a door space, some echoey footsteps. And that means they're inside a building footsteps with like cars in the background, like traffic. That means they're outside. Let me show you guys or let me have you guys listen to the old sounds all right so here we go yep what is that i'm not sure it's a beep um. <laughs> what the heck yeah i guess they had to do it like pc speaker type sounds right right uh, yeah. maybe you get used to it and you know what they are but you maybe would it's like a door closing that's what it sounded like because I played that's a car for sure <laughs> <laughs> something that's falling sad noise probably something falling yeah so you'd have to memorize all these sounds <laughs> in the old game it's it's really cool that they have it for those that played the game uh when it was in the old version right I would never use this Never. That is like so hard to decipher what is what. I'll, I'll show you. I'll, I'll just really quickly show you guys like what an actual clue might sound like from the, the updated app. Okay, so that would mean that they're on a crime scene. Okay, all of it very intuitive, right? Yeah. yeah I could probably... I could probably play every sound for you guys and you'd know exactly what it is. Um, so the second edition, uh, the first edition just had the co-op mode. However, if you have that, um, you could go on Restoration's website and just pay two bucks and get the stuff needed for the co-op game. Um, the one verse many is interesting because you have the app and you just choose where the criminal's going. And depending on what mode you're playing, is, is like how the game works. So if you're playing solo or cooperative, um, you have a, a stack of money, which is known as your loot. It's like $50,000. And every time a criminal will make a burglary, you have to remove 5,000 from it. So it's kind of like this timer where it's a group of thieves going around and you have to catch them. And if you run out of loot, you lose. But if you catch all seven of them, you win. The competitive game has different criminals that you put in and they have a number on the card. So like $7,000 and every time they rob a place, they'll get a thousand dollars put on them. So it's kind of different, right? You, there's this timing element where you kind of want them to rob more. So they're worth more. 
because the first two, uh, depending on the number of players, maybe 30,000 or 40,000, um, that will end the game and you will win if you've reached that amount of money. But if you make a false arrest, then you have to lose money. So the game also has some difficulty settings. So you could play easy, which is really easy. And it just depends on like what the criminal, how the criminal can move. Like he won't double back in easy. Um, If he left the building, he will never go back into that building. If you play difficult, he can double back. He could be very tricky or she. And um, also when you get a tip, because you can, you can uh, play a card to get a tip and you can see the exact number where they are in the easy game. In the hard game, you just get the first digit. So it tells you like the quadrant. Um, In the old game, you would roll dice and that would be your movement. But in this game, it's more of a hand management because it's kind of like Concordia where you have a card that says at the end of your turn, pick up all your other cards. But until then, you're playing cards down and leaving them down. And you're going up to that many spaces in the card. But every player has asymmetric abilities that are printed on the card. So when you play that card, maybe you can arrest from three spaces away. Or maybe the first three spaces outside to you are free in your movement. And the numbers are different too. They could vary. One character doesn't have a special ability, but he's got two 11 cards, which is pretty far movement. I thought this game for what it was, was pretty cool. I do like the fact that I can play this with maybe kids or family, but I could also ramp it up and play with a gaming group. So I'm glad I have it. Played it a few times. I played it cooperatively and I played it competitively. I like both. I also played it solo, which to me felt like a lonely cooperative game. But overall, pretty fun, really light, especially in rules. No matter how the difficulty is, the rules are really light. But it's pretty good, and that's Stop Thief. Do you know what the second edition is, uh, what the differences are between the second edition and the first edition? Just curious. Did they change a lot of stuff? The modes. So you can play solo and cooperative, and it has different cards, different criminal cards. And like I said, you could just purchase the two two bucks from their website and and update it. Also, if you have, if you're wondering, if you're like at the board game store and you're like, is this the first or second edition? Very easy to decipher the two. Um, first edition on the right hand side, there's, uh, dinosaur bones. Uh, you're like in a museum on the second edition. It's one of your fellow detectives. That's it. Yeah. I actually saw this game at target and I was kind of happy that there's legit board games at, uh, targets now, uh, because it's looked kind of more gamey. I wasn't sure it looked still really light though. So, yeah. It is, and I would be reluctant to actually bring it to the board gaming group unless it was um, re- requested. Hmm. Okay. This week I also played Adventureland. Uh, Adventureland was just kind of a random suggestion because we were about to play games and we weren't playing Gloomhaven. So we were looking for something to play and we didn't have too much time. So I suggested it because it's a little bit shorter. Um, 
actually we're waiting for somebody to show up so Adventureland is by Kiesling and Kramer actually which is why I was mostly interested in it it also looks kind of just fascinating uh, the theme of the game is you're exploring a kingdom or something or your adventurers in the kingdom there there go Adventureland so uh the, the theme is kind of very loosely implemented because what you, what the game is, is you start in the top left corner, uh, kind of uh, the whole board is uh, 15 or something, rows to 15 columns, just like a square. Uh, and every square has a terrain type. It looks really cool, though. It, uh, the art is really awesome. Uh, the terrain type is mountains, towns. Uh, there's a river that runs through it, fog where you fight monsters and forest where you pick up herbs um yeah so uh you have like eight adventures i think which is just pawns and you move them uh the very game is kind of very simple you move you may have two moves uh one uh, you can only go right and you can only go down so you cannot go left and up so it's kind of a timing game of going through the board with your eight adventurers starting from the top left corner to the bottom right corner uh, obviously you might not make it because the way the game ends is uh, you run out of these things to pick up so it's kind of like almost like a rush but measured rush because if you go too far you can't go back to pick up things that might spawn and how do things spawn you just reveal two cards with your coordinates every turn so it's almost like bunny kingdom but not drafting rather it's like movement from top left to bottom right and you just land on things and pick up um what makes the game kind of uh it's almost like a children's game is it's the the rules are simple also the game's pretty straightforward uh it is kind of like a little bit bingo e because of the coordinate system uh and that introduces some of the luck the other part of the luck is when you fight monsters you have swords which basically you pick up in mountain areas when they spawn and for every sword you roll a d6 and you're trying to basically reach a number to defeat the monster uh kind of like what is it called um oracle delphi maybe i I think that had a rolling dice system kind of similar. You're just trying to reach a number. Uh, you can mitigate that number uh, by spending reroll tokens, which you pick up along the river, or you can just straight up add to it by spending herbs. The herbs just like add. And also there's adventures, which you pick up for points. Anyway, it's kind of a point salad, abstract, really kind of game with a bingo element of spawning random things on the board. That's how I would describe it. Uh, pretty simple game, um, I, as I expected. Unfortunately, the luck is kind of significant. The scores were kind of close at the end, so it wasn't that bad i would say but still um some one of the people had just like the perfect kind of spawn sequence happen where things were spawning kind of continuously right next to where they had adventures which is probably the best situation because you gonna don't have to for for uh forgo some spaces which might spawn stuff so that coupled with obviously d6s you can roll 111 or 666 and yes they're reroll tokens but the reroll tokens are pretty hard to acquire and they waste actions so that just kind of makes it just kind of a lucky game we did play the 
kind of most intro slash newbie variant, there's three ways to score the game, which are significantly different. Uh, the one we, we had was basically just focused on fighting monsters and acquiring adventurers. Uh, the other variants introduced things like set collection and uh, just other kind of more advanced objectives, which I would like to actually play just to see how it kind of changes the game. Maybe it makes it better. But the intro variant was just kind of too lucky for me. Uh, still, I like the system. The system is very interesting. I like those games where um, they're kind of more abstract in, in some way. And that has kind of like an abstract vibe of, uh, yeah, just kind of decisions to push your luck or no. Uh, so that's Adventureland by Kingsling and Kramer. Kind of an older game. I just never played it and I finally got to it. Uh, no one ever had it, the physical copy, so we played it on tabletop. So, yep. I was thinking about getting this game back in the day, but uh, it was a Haba game and that made me think that it was a kid's game. Yes, it is a kid's game and yeah, it's on the upper side of kid's games, but I'd say it's like Miyabi. It's uh, still kind of on the simple side-ish. It also has a, some lucky situations. It also has a big warning on the box saying choking hazard and I just don't trust myself with those <laughs> kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, that's always scary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, those were some games that we played. So up next is some games that we're looking forward to. All right, so I've gone on sort of a spending spree with board games, all right? It's because they haven't been in my life as much as I wanted them to be. And I'd been uh, buying and collecting Marvel for a while, the Crisis Protocol. So I was like, it's time to buy board games. All right, so I bought a few here. I talked about Inner Compass, uh, looking forward to um, in previous shows. So I have it, so I'll be playing that soon. So I'll talk about that soon. I got uh, Brussels 1897, which is based on the game that's 1893, I think. Do you guys remember? Yeah, yeah, it's 1893. I played 1897 yeah. once already. I kind of like it, but some other people didn't. Um, I'm curious what you'll think about it. I read through the rules. I almost want to come and play good. with you or something. Yeah. yeah. No, it sounded it sound good by the rules. Uh, the game is a little bit maybe too simple. I agree, but it's it's interesting, yeah. comes with a brochure, an actual brochure of Brussels. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, well, yeah, I table, saw that. The, the tabletop version doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got uh, Alubari, a nice cup of tea which oh alubari yeah. yeah matt was actually looking forward to that game i think if i remember correctly yeah no, yeah it was a different tea game was it it's called oh. Formosa tea. oh oh i see well we've pretty much all played this game it is almost exactly snowdonia it's the same designer it's just oh, a different that's, theme that's what it is yeah i knew the name and that's that's how i know the name it's basically snowdonia yeah yeah it's got a couple of different things like the worker placement spots have bonus actions you could take underneath them and you could spend like these tea leaves. Um, there's a track that you're on with, with the tea and you could spend the tea to use the bonus actions. Uh, there's a couple other new things. I just, I just skim the rules, but I'll be playing it very soon. I got it because I really like Snowdonia. I just don't want to pay a hundred dollars for the uh, big deluxe edition. 
So I felt like this was a good um, kind of uh, substitute for that. Yeah, and I have it, and now we have both, I guess, so we can play both once in a while. Yeah, if we feel like, hey, no, let's play the train game, but let's deliver tea instead. We got this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the last one I want to talk about is a game I ordered, um, and it's coming at the end of this month. It's called Back to the Future, Back in Time. Okay, I'm a sucker for Back to the Future. All right, I love the franchise. I even like the third one, but I think the second one's my favorite. But the first one's awesome. Crispin Glover, Michael J. Fox, Robert Zemeckis, and Steven Spielberg. This is by Prosperi Hall. So they did um, Horrified. And Horrified was a cooperative game using the Universal Monsters. Well, this is a cooperative game by them using the Back to the Future um, theme. And I looked at the overview of it, and it looks very thematic and fun. It's got some dice rolling, which could be bad. But I don't care because I'm not... I didn't purchase this game, and I'm not looking forward to playing it because I think there's going to be this like solid, deep game there. I'm looking to play this game so I can play a board game version of Back to the Future. And that's all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at their games. They did also the Top Gun game. Basically, they are kind of lighter games. They do lighter games, which is fine. Um, I'm curious what it is. Yeah, it should be interesting. I like the franchise a lot. Um, I mean, it'd be kind of too much to ask for someone to do like a deep hero game with Back to the Future uh, <laughs> theme so i think it's kind of appropriate to the way it is right now uh, maybe thematic game would have been cool as well yeah oh i should state that they're not focusing on the time travel aspect of it which that could have been a mess they're actually focusing on the theme of the first one where he's just trying to set he's trying to get his parents to fall back in love and trying to get the um the DeLorean, the, the time traveling device in its right place. So you're trying to do all these certain things that like the theme of the first one, you know, time travel is just kind of a sidebar where you time travel at the end of the game if you've won kind of thing. So I thought that was a good touch yeah, too. Yeah. No, I like their games. They're just kind of more on the simple side, but that's fine. Like I say, I think it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. They've tried to do Back to the Future games before and they uh, they didn't catch my interest at all. This one did. But it's what right. I'm looking forward to. Uh, so I am looking forward to, this is kind of a last minute thing, but basically a couple of things that caught my eye on Kickstarter. Maharaja was finished, uh, the Kickstarter finished on Monday or Tuesday. Unfortunately, I did not look at the game in depth and I actually didn't back it in time. I'm not sure if there's going to be a late backing thing and I'm not even sure what it is, but I'm just kind of curious what he, uh, 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 it said it was redesigned by someone. Do you remember who it was, Brandon? So like uh or like re not reimagined, not redesigned, but re retouched, I wanna say almost by some other designer. I didn't so know it's that. It's not quite the original game. It's actually kind of a different rule set. I was curious what has changed. I don't know anything about the original game either, so I just kinda completely just um it's been sitting in one of my tabs on my browser to look at. So Maharaja may be looking forward to, we'll see. It just caught my eye for sure on Kickstarter. Um, another thing that I kind of struggled with was uh, Tribune was uh, also finished yesterday. There's a new edition and I don't have the old edition and I was 
kind of on the fence about that game and I'm still kind of on the fence, but they're saying it's not going to go to retail. Uh, it might be sold directly and on Amazon for a little bit by the end of the year, but then it's just over. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll buy it. So if I don't like it, maybe I'll sell it in the future. But um, yeah, we've I don't know if we've talked about the game before. It's kind of like a worker placement game where uh, it's not really worker placement, it's like card placement. And you're trying to get these majorities uh, so you can control certain... Uh, the theme is here in Rome, so you're trying to control the Senate in Rome or like the temples in Rome or like aspects of the political scene. So depending on your majorities that you're trying to collect through worker placements, actually you do place workers, I lied, they're cards, but you're trying to get them with workers. So I think you place workers to get cards and then the cards are majorities, which you're trying to get particular majorities or particular points in the game so that you can score and ultimately win. I wasn't too crazy on the way... Uh, with different player counts, you have to get different majorities. And I feel like there's kind of a runaway leader thing in that game. Maybe it's it's very interesting, but I guess it was interesting enough for me to um, back it maybe slightly reluctantly. Um, but we'll see. Maybe um, we'll play it. <laughs> uh, so that's Tribune. Maybe another cautiously looking forward to game. I don't know if I've ever played this game before. I don't. I I could see the box, the old box, in my head perfectly. I think people have brought yeah. it, but I don't think that I've actually played it. It's actually a very straightforward game. Uh, what's not straightforward is what the timing, sh what you, how to play, basically. Uh, and I think that's kind of good in games in general. Although in that one, I'm not sure uh, if I like that aspect of it so much. But because um, it's very, it feels like you're not in control a lot of the time. But maybe that comes with just playing the game more. Um, yeah. What so, I'm saying is, like, oops. you can, uh, you you know what the actions are. You just not 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 know what the good strategy is for executing the actions in time. And that's it. That's all the games I'm looking forward to. All right. So that was it. Some games that we're looking forward to. So up next, our topic on BGG and other online board gaming resources. BGG stands for Board Game Geek. It's like the IMDB of board games. Other online board game resources, Christo will tell us about. Yeah, um, I basically kind of, uh, the ones that I, I was thinking about, what do I use most uh, when I was thinking this topic? And I think pretty much everyone uses. Uh, I really like uh, Math Trades, and Math Trades kind of have a separate thing from BGG. They use BGG as a kind of a source for some things. I guess there's integrations, but I think they're a separate kind of website and a thing. Uh, also, board game prices actually is what I wanted to talk about, and there's some really interesting news that uh, there that I kind of haphazardly discovered by just researching this topic. So basically it's going to be kind of BGG math trades and board game prices. Uh, if you, I mean, we could talk about like Amazon, which is hilarious because uh, people buy games off of Amazon or local game stores, but that's not online anyway, or just game stores in general. Um, I don't know if you guys use anything other than that online. I guess Meetup, we've talked about Meetup before a lot though. Um, if yes, just let me know maybe at the end. Um, but 
so board game geek all right so board game geek was actually started in 2000 and uh it was started by scott alden um it's this guy uh by the way i'm kind of regurgitating regurgitating some information which i found basically in this thread on bgg there are a couple of interviews which um paul grogan has done with scott scott alden and also at spiel there's an interview with him in 2016 which kind of a lot of this information is coming out of but um you if you want to read more detail or watch the interviews i actually did watch both the interviews they were kind of interesting just to kind of see what scott is like and kind of um how he is and yeah uh, so anyway, it was started by Scott Alden. Uh, he lives in Dallas, Texas uh, in 2000. Actually, at first it was uh, 3D Game Geek, which is hilarious. Um, 3D Game Geek because it wasn't even about board games. Uh, it was originally kind of the code was written as a review site and like a blog type site all the way in 99 for just the regular PC games. And it's very interesting. I went on the Wayback Machine. I don't know if you know what the Wayback Machine is, but it's like a, a website where you can see old snapshots of nostalgic kind of what the website looked like in 1999 and what it looked like in 2003, kind of snapshots websites over time. It's kind of crazy, actually. So um, I went on it, and yeah, there's this kind of just 90s-looking uh, sidebar thing with reviews of Total Annihilation Kingdoms and, like, you know, just, like, these old, like, PC games and, like, articles, blog-type blog, blog type articles with discussions about uh, just PC games. So um, I think he started getting into board games, um, and uh, he, he was introduced to this mailing list by a friend of him, uh, which was on Yahoo and it was private. So his friend was kind of really kind of protective about it. Like, I'll see if I can get you in kind of a thing. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and also there was a, I guess, news groups, Usenet. Uh, he said what I never used Usenet. Actually, I'm not like, uh, that cool i guess or old school as far as the internet goes but those were kind of the two primary resources in the 90s for board games i guess um so this mailing list was on yahoo and he was invited to it and he was impressed how people have a lot of just session reports on there uh session reports meaning how basically they just write about how the game went um they play a game they write, write about how it went and there was just this like wealth of information of like five years of of information just floating around in this uh, private mailing list. And Hugh just thought, like, what if I make it public? I kind of want to make it public. He talked to the people who were writing the session reports, and he was asking them if, uh, he asked them if they wanted to just be published on the website. So at first, BGG was actually manual to pop, uh, updated by him website or by him and a couple of other people from what I uh, remember and they were actually going in and just writing session uh, like posting session reports by people uh, in this mailing list and just kind of writing blog articles and all that stuff so there was no user registration there was no ratings just it was just kind of game session reports uh, blog type stuff so um yeah, so then they opened up your user registration and kind of made the sites uh, where you can do ratings and do kind of forums, and that, that's when it really started kind of blowing up. Uh, so, yeah, the interesting thing about Scott, actually, he worked as a programmer previously. He actually 
programmed video games uh, or PC games, actually, in particular. Uh, some interesting titles he worked on. He worked on Sin, which uh, you probably haven't played, but I actually played that game and I thought it was pretty cool at the time. It's actually one of my kind of uh, one of the franchises that I really like. Uh, it's kind of focused on kind of a first person shooter game with some kind of more interesting integration with computers and hacking so you're not just shooting enemies you're also going to like it's very objective based and you're trying to like hack computers and uh, from what i remember it had really cool fascinating like you could actually in game go to like computer screens and they would have working things like you can type on them and do a command and click on them um so very kind of cool game and i think it was overshadowed by like half-life um this kind of going into pc games and nerdy stuff but uh the funny thing is also he worked for uh he worked on duke nukem forever which i don't know if you know anything about it but it was a game that was almost like a legend um that like was supposed to be released in 2000 and it just never got released uh they kept working on it for years and years and years for like 10 years and eventually they released something which was kind of uh after the fact like 2008 or 9 and it was more just kind of like well that's that's what we made uh, but it was supposed to be this big kind of franchise that would rival the one of the biggest it was just supposed to be so big and it was like just never published <laughs> just a uh, kind of vape vaporware i guess is what they they call it but he worked on duke nukem forever for five years supposedly in texas i think or california or somewhere um no actually he moved to texas in 95 is what he said so yeah he worked on pc games before he discovered board games actually very interesting he played Catan like um pretty much all of us maybe or maybe some people avoided it somehow i don't know i didn't um what really pushed him into board games uh or his kind of darling game i guess was uh tigris and euphrates uh that's the reiner knizia game um I think it was published in 99, if I remember correctly, uh, the original edition. But he was just kind of saying that he was blown away by that game. And that's kind of what pushed him into kind of more heavy and just kind of the world of board gaming uh, in general. So, yeah, that's uh, Scott Alden. So, oh, yeah, in 2005, I guess he quit his job to work full time on BGG. Um so now he just works on the website. Uh, just looking through my notes. Oh, at first, BGG used to only have about twenty to 30,000 unique visitors per year. Now it's like 5 million per 30 days is what <laughs> the latest numbers were. He was quoting from 2016, so maybe it's even higher now. So you can kind of see how the just kind of board gaming has just blown up um, a lot. Uh, very interesting, surprising also. The website is run by very few people. He is one of the primary programmers. I think he was saying there's only one other programmer. There's some freelancers doing stuff, but mostly it's him and some other guy uh, doing actual code. There's some people running like the store, the convention that they do, a community manager, some person that 
deals with sales disputes and like just kind of sales related things on the market that they have and the news person as well uh, who publishes board gaming news but yeah it's like five or six people running the entire bgg uh, there is no huge office or corporate anything it's just six people uh, just kind of running it uh i have so, a question i have a question about bgg yeah what are the geek points Geek points, you mean geek gold? Geek gold, geek that's points. what I'm talking about. Yeah, know. geek gold. Oh, uh, geek gold. Actually, he was uh, saying it was kind of a surprising thing. It was supposed to be just this thing to encourage people to upload uh, images and just information about games which are lacking those things. So I think you get them if you fulfill certain like requests or I don't know, actually, I, I've, I've never really bothered trying to get them. But I think if there's a new game or a game lacking images or lacking videos or reviews or something, or uh, I think you get them also for linking uh because it's manual link, uh, linking eBay uh, things on the market. Basically, for contributing to the website in general, you're awarded uh, Geek Gold. Uh, what is it for? Not much, actually, right now. I think it has some kind of a value. So if you have a lot of it, maybe you can even persuade someone to sell you some game for it or something if they care. But uh, mostly it's to buy just digital things on the website, like badges. I'm sure you've seen badges on profiles, like, uh, avatars, I don't know, like titles, mm. subtitles. Oh, okay. uh, so just things that are like cool that you can kind of make or bling out your profile, I guess, on the website. But he was saying uh, he was surprised how much that took off because it, in the beginning it was just kind of a small thing to encourage people, but now it's used in uh, like a sweeteners and math trades and just kind of almost as like a currency. Not quite though, I think it's still kind of relatively worthless. <laughs> then uh just so it's not going to be the uh, next bitcoin is what you're telling me uh it might be actually i had actually had a kind of a kind of a comment slash question on uh, is this like are there a lot of missed opportunities in bgg bgg could it have been like the next amazon could it have been like uh kickstarter could have been ebay i don't know but we can go into that um Later, actually, one of the interviews kind of interesting. There's also uh, questions about ratings because I guess a lot of people care about ratings and people whine about their game being not in the top 10 and it's like the top 10 games are trash and, you know, the whole rating system is broken. Um, he was actually very guarded on how they run their actual ranking system to rank board games because ranking is different from ratings. Like, uh, to your point, uh, you've, you were saying you've never seen a 10 game. There are actually plenty of 10 games out there. Uh, they just have like five or 10 votes. So they're kind of thrown away. Um, and he was actually very guarded by how they make the decision to throw away rank uh, ratings ratings when doing their ranking system uh, because he was saying basically uh, that's been Paul Grogan's interview in the Spiel interview he was a little bit more open and basically he said he has proprietary kind of algorithms to throw away kind of fake or inflated or deflated rankings where I think they value um, people who don't vote too extremely I think so if you have a profile that's only ones or only tens or just tens and ones they might throw it away um, I think also they care more about people who visit the website frequently so they value uh, visits to the website or just engagement posts 
things like that, just being engaged in the website. So if you log in, rate a bunch of games and log out uh, once every six months, you're probably not going to be taken much into account in the rankings. Um, Paul Grogan was asking if there's decay for old games, like our old games kind of pushed down in rankings and he was... He didn't say anything about it. <laughs> Very interesting question, though, because I think what tends to happen is uh, new games have maybe an easier time going up on towards number one. But ultimately, he was saying, though, like, don't take it too seriously. It's for fun. Yeah, people abuse the system. People rank games they haven't played before. Uh, people with different experience obviously rank games like someone plays their first board game and they're like oh my gosh it's cl clearly a 10 it's awesome um, you know so there's it's kind of just ultimately for fun I don't know don't put I, I've noticed with on it. yeah I've noticed with rankings and ratings it seems to be something that people kind of get obsessed with when they first get into the hobby and I feel like after a while you kind of realize that you just have to trust yourself and your friends within your board gaming group and maybe like a reviewer that you trust that like your opinions match close um, yeah. or you have to go by you know designer pedigree or whatnot i almost never pay attention to the to the ranking or ratings actually i never pay attention to the ratings like if i'm about to purchase a game i almost never look it up on bgg to see the rank or ratings of it it's just to see pictures and description and mechanisms. And that's what, yep. to me, Board Game Geek is really useful for. Actually, I really like the rating system, but I don't like the numbers. I like reading people's actually like if they've written paragraphs about it because I think you can kind of get a sense of what the person is like if they're kind of an experienced gamer, if they compare it, if they're comparing it to other games, you know. So like if you look at their text next to their number, it kind of makes sense. Uh, or if it's someone that just had a bad game and like this game sucks too or something, you know, sure, like yeah. there's a lot of... Uh, kind of nuance about how people rank games uh, or if there's no text I just kind of like throw it away usually because like who knows what that person was thinking you know could be anything really uh, but I think it's valuable in that way but yeah if you just look at the numbers I think it's kind of a mess so he was just saying ultimately it's for fun so <laughs> just yeah, whatever yeah one thing Matt does is he'll look at board game designers that we like and that we agree tend to like their games and a lot of times they'll rank and review other board games of other designers oh that's, so that's interesting really helpful to us yeah that's interesting yeah that's almost like when you're listening to music like seeing what your what your favorite bands are listening to that's actually kind of cool yeah that makes sense yeah to me. yep yeah, but it's interesting how basically the ranking system is kind of a black box and I guess you can trust them to uh, maybe have made the right decisions. I don't know. Uh, he was saying that some people also have like narrow, really narrow, or Paul Grogan, I think, was saying people have some really narrow uh, descriptions of what a good game is and like they have like a set of values that if a game doesn't have it, it's not good. Uh, usually kind of hardcore Euro gamers. Um, I think... I'm, I'm more open to just kind of a wide variety of games being considered good. Like the game doesn't have to be heavy or not have luck or something, you know, which I, I, I think just people have different values in board games is what I'm saying, which is fine. It's just kind of what you like. Yeah, I think you have to take in consideration what it's trying to be, you know, the game. And I feel like we're all kind yeah. of open to that. We just, you know, yeah. 
But yeah, so sources of funding for VGG. How does VGG survive? Uh, they have an annual fundraiser, like a primary source of them funding. They do something like kind of like Wikipedia has an annual fundraiser. They also run advertising. I was actually kind of <laughs> kind of surprised about it because I've been really kind of blessed slash amazed that uh, basically the ads are actually going really strong. Um, over the last 10 years, I've hardly ever see advertisements on the internet, which is kind of the way I like to run things. Uh, but I guess they have advertisements on PGG. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen any of them, but uh, they sell advertisements. Uh, they have their store, which they mostly sell promos out of. They started running some um, kind of very niche board games, really weird board games from like Japan and kind of really expensive board games as well, which is very kind of strange. Uh, it used to be only promos. Now they've started also selling kind of uh, bling bits like metal cubes and those folding just kind of components that you can use for board gaming. So a kind of expanding store. They run a convention. He didn't mention it as a source of revenue. I think it's just kind of BGG Con is their convention in Texas, uh, which is where he lives. Um, apparently they have a game library. When he was talking about the game library, it kind of reminded me of SaltCon. Uh, he was saying they have 3,000 games. I actually don't know how much SaltCon has, uh, how many games SaltCon has, maybe like 1,000 or less than 1,000, I'd say. But 3,000 is a lot, actually, so probably a larger library there. Uh, they have a cruise, not a complete cruise ship, just kind of like uh, the Dice Tower cruise. There's a bunch of cruises. There's have one as well. They do a live streaming, which I don't think is hardly a source of revenue yet. Uh, and they take a cut on sales actually from the market, uh, board game sales. I don't know if you guys knew that, but they take 3%, I think, of the sales price from the game sold on the board game market. And yeah, um, kind of interesting actually, and this is kind of segueing into maybe some questions and kind of comments. Uh, what's the future of Board Game Geek? Uh, they asked uh, Scott that at uh, Spiel in 2016 and 2018 with Paul Grogan as well. But he was saying uh, he had ideas about maybe more social integration with Geek Buddies. That concept kind of exists where it can be friendly, but not very well exploited. Like, you know, uh, you're friends with someone and like, so what? It doesn't change anything. So he was saying like, he'd like of kind of seeing what your friends are playing and maybe comments from them, just kind of like a kind of a concept, maybe. Um, he was saying something very interesting, actually maybe something like Meetup, um, where you can schedule game nights and just stuff better through the website uh, because currently I think and I've been kind of disappointed by that as well. Uh, there are guilds on BoardGameGeek but basically a guild is just a forum and to me I wish that was just better. That could have been so much cooler. Um, right now it was just kind of you get a private forum and yeah you can post things there and check it once in a while but um, I think that's about it. He was saying he'd like it to be more like Meetup someday where you can schedule um, game nights, plan games, plan specific games uh, more geographically and stuff. Uh, he was saying maybe the auction system needs to be better. I think there are auctions which are basically, I think, forum posts as well. I don't know if there's legit auctions. Has anyone actually done an auction on BGG? I haven't done a like a specifically an auction. I've used the market before. No. no. Um, 
but I think their forum post he was saying basically he wants kind of to make a legit auction system where it's a system not just people like posting what they'd like to do and uh, some crazy idea maybe crowdfunding on BGG so BGG is like Kickstarter there's uh, uh, events running and you can go in and fund games so I was just thinking like you know um, kind of crazy BGG could have been so many things but it wasn't. Do you, do you guys feel like there's maybe like a missed opportunity there? Kind of like Amazon, if it sold a lot of board games, their store could have been much larger. They could have been like meet up. They could have been <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like it as simple as it is. Like it's where I go to get information on like board games that I'm interested in buying. Um, I don't want to have to like sort through a whole bunch of stuff just to get that info. Yeah. I think too. Yeah. Do you think it's too influential maybe as well? Yeah. yeah. Um, so first I think, uh, I think that it's still somewhat new. I mean, it's 20 years old, but as far as like popularity goes, it's still somewhat new. And I think it still has potential to reach some of these heights that you're talking about with time and because like there's so much traffic on it that we might be seeing it in the next 10 years reach some of these levels influence wise i do think it has too much influence um and i'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing i think a lot of people can use it for resources as far as um when they're first getting into the hobby, I think it's a good resource to see what games are like on the top 100. And also they integrated that new thing where it'll say games like this, you know, like people also like this game. And I think that's yeah, a good I resource think that's really too. Cool feature actually. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, um, so I think it has a lot of influence. I don't know if that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing for new gamers. And I think that gamers that have are very seasoned and have been in the hobby for a while, it's not going to affect them as much as the newer folks. Yeah, I kind of like the way it is actually, that it's a very small operation and it's very kind of uh, labor of love kind of an operation. I think if it was a very commercialized, I probably would like it less. And that might actually spawn uh, some more independent competition as well. But I think it's basically become kind of... Uh, useful uh, and I'd say even like impartial uh, given how many visitors it has like they could could be pushing a lot more kind of board games and just kind of be very you know like there's an attitude that he has is just kind of like what do I want to see on this website as opposed to how much money can I make off of this website because I think if his objective was to make uh, more money I think he would probably just kind of uh, it would look completely different and have completely different kind of uh, things going on, I think. Uh, maybe much worse things. But I think it's been so successful because it's kind of this like nerdy thing that stayed just kind of as a pure database of things. And yeah, people try to swing ratings. Uh, companies, when they do a Kickstarter, obviously, uh, they try to make 20 accounts and vote their game 10 <laughs> to push it up something but it's kind of stayed uh, very kind of relatively independent and kind of just useful uh, which is pretty cool but i was just thinking like how much of a powerhouse would bgg be if like basically they had game nerds as their 
store and they were like integrated very closely you know so imagine just like the combination of both of them um or something that'd be just kind of a behemoth i guess but kind of kind of interesting thought there also yeah. i think the idea of crowdfunding on bgg is very fascinating to me kind of just meetups and just all these like possible integrations that are just not there now i think it would be interesting yeah, if they I don't know if you had something I just think I kind of agree with Brandon. I think it'll grow into it as it kind of matures and finds out what it wants to be. But for right now, I like I think it's a really good repository for games, even if the ratings are a little weird. I think they tend to mostly even out. Um, and I think they do a really good job of like making sure they have all the games. I mean, Matt and I got a game at the um, thrift store as a joke called like crazy cat lady the board game and they had a full page on it with reviews and <laughs> i mean it was all funny and no one liked it i think it was rated like a 1.2 but <laughs> nice. it deserved that rating but um i mean they they have like everything not just what we think of euro games or anything like that yeah yeah definitely. yeah it, it, it's also because of the people's contribution and i think that's significant as well and i don't know if it's really geek gold that's making them do it i think it's just kind of the thrill of getting some new game that no one knows about in the database and like yeah i, I wrote this i wonder if they'll ever have storefronts i think that would be pretty interesting because i know cool stuff inc has a storefront in florida and i think that would be quite interesting to see bgg stores popping up around the states or the world yeah that'd be that'd be cool i think it would require a lot of just kind of uh organization and i don't know if he uh, basically scott kind of interesting he's still working on the website and he still does coding it's not like he's some kind of a business person that only does business so i think he would have to kind of either hire someone to be kind of the CEO of the company or he needs to like quit programming and start doing business stuff for that to happen. I think. Yeah. I don't know how likely yeah. that is, but I do like their new. Um, so like Jeff Engelstein and somebody else were working on the actual mechanisms to try to fix that and make them a little bit more accurate. And I have been pretty satisfied with their changes so far. And I think that's pretty neat that he brought them oh, in to do the, so. The mechanics on BGG, the list yeah. of mechanics, is uh -huh. that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Actually, I don't know what the history there is. I didn't see any articles or anything, but I think they've been influential in also just kind of uh, making some buzzwords and board gaming happen, like you know, oh, deck yeah. building, worker placement, like words just because they're categories of games, I think. So they've probably created a few of those if, if I were to guess. Right, right. It's kind of interesting. But anyway, that's pretty much actually everything I had about BGG. I don't know if you guys have any other comments or if you think of something later. I do have something coming kind of back to it later, so maybe we can go into math trades. Let's move on. Go for it. Math trades. All right. So math trades are weird. Uh, there, if you haven't participated in the math trade, that's basically this kind of barter system. Uh, but it's a barter system with board games. So you, a bunch of people, get together and they have board games, right? And they submit lists about what games they have. So then there's a master list of all the games that everyone has, and then. That, that's distributed to everyone and then everyone kind of indicates which of their games they'd like to trade for which of 
anyone else's games. Uh, and then a magical ag- algorithm runs and uh, figures out the most optimal way for people to exchange their board games. Uh, kind of a strange system, actually. I was thinking it's kind of a throwback to basically the world before currency because it's kind <laughs> of a barter. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it works because th- it's kind of weird how you value board, board games. If you were to value them as money, I think it's kind of different from valuing them as like, what would I trade this for? And I think that valuation difference in just people's minds, like it's it's weird, but I think it's sometimes it works better to kind of trade a game for a game um, rather than to try to sell it for money and buy the other game. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah. it's crazy. I've thought about how why it works, but it, I guess it works with board games in particular for some reason. And maybe it's part of it is just the nerdiness of uh, board gamers that wanted to have something just kind of crazy happen and it's it's happening currently there's uh at least three or four math trades running at any time somewhere around the world um i know because there's this website called the online want list generator uh i was reading about kind of a history of math trades and before the want list generator online there was actually a math trade i think the earliest one was like 2005 supposedly where someone was running an excel spreadsheet basically with the entire math trade and the way people would get in their wants and what games they had was through email <laughs> so you can imagine how ridiculously laborious that <laughs> could have been for the person running the spreadsheet to actually input all the stuff from the email into excel and then they didn't really have software to do the matching up people so they were at first manually doing it from what i understand uh eventually someone wrote a brute force algorithm in 2005 that would just like uh just run through all combinations in succession and if you have a long list that can explode very highly so they were i was reading that they sometimes would leave them running for days uh just kind of running through all the combinations to kind of find better combinations of the math trade. Um, Eventually, someone actually wrote the trade maximizer in 2007. It took two years, I think, for them to write kind of a better algorithm that wouldn't just brute force everything. Um, I don't know details. This was a lot of programming BS here, which I I mean, I could understand it. I just didn't want to read. There's a lot of technical information, but basically it's a better algorithm, which runs just more efficiently and you could just run it since... Um, It spits out stuff. And also in the same year, the online want list generator was created by Jeff Michaud. Or Micode, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, Jeffy Jeff on BoardGameGeek. And that's actually been the de facto... Uh, math trades place since 2007 for 13 years uh, someone made a nicer math trader plus plus uh, Giorgio Anibis is his name in 2016 supposedly even more efficient it does things in a single pass and it also takes into account people's like weights and stuff and preferences so it's just more advanced way to run um, math trades but uh, kind of amazing to me basically the whole world um, uses the online want list generator because I can see math trades that are not just associated with the conventions they're just running in Europe and like South America and just everywhere the US um, 
and people obviously mail games if they participate in a non-convention board game uh, math trade. But it's kind of crazy that all of that's happening on this one single website, which also is really just so weird, uh, weirdly geeky. Uh, by the way, a lot of these people are obviously, I was looking at some of their profiles um, and I saw some people's websites and just kind of their names. A lot of them are software engineers. Actually, one guy was working for Google now, uh, maybe not in 2005, but a lot of them are just these like software engineers and definitely kind of shows on that want list generator. I don't know if you guys have uh, gone on there to do something. I think um, I've uh, the first time when you go in, you're just like, what the heck is this? First of all, I think the certificate is expired, which is hilarious, the security certificate. So you have to click through that warning. Um, and then the website uh, graphical interface is just crazy because there's all these like boxes, check marks, a lot of technical stuff that you have to know. So you have to, almost have to be kind of half half programmer to make sense of it, I think, or just read all these guides. So it's just like this really weird thing that thousands of people use um, all the time to trade board games. So I guess it comes with a hobby. But yeah, what um, have you guys done math trades previously? I think we've talked about it slightly before, but why, why do you think math trades are a thing as well? It's kind of a weird barter system. How, why does it work? What are your thoughts? So the only time I've done a math trade is through local conventions, and you did it for me, Risto. I just gave you a list yep. of my games, and then I gave you a list of games I'd be willing to trade for them. I think that math trades work because of the classic saying of one person's trash is another man's treasure, right? Because I had games that I was getting rid of that I got really early in the hobby, um, and I got really small box games for them. I would have happily just given these games away, but I got something back for it. Whereas the people that got the games probably thought that they got a really great deal and they did for them. But for me, it felt like I got something back for something I was just going to get rid of anyway. And I think that that's very interesting how we value these games. Now, of course, something that's been out of print is probably going to be um, relatively similar in value for everybody. You know, if it's like Russian railroads, then it's going to be valued pretty high for most people that are into Euro games and that style of game. But a game that you can get freely, you know, you could just go and pick it up at the board game store. Now that's going to be valued at your perception of the game. And I find that very interesting. And I like that. I like that I can go and say like, mm, I don't really like, I, you know, I used to be into the Marvel deck building game and I have some expansions for it and I don't really like it. But I'm, and I'm so I'm willing to trade for just a regular base game. And somebody wins in that situation. They get this this base yeah. game and all these expansions. And I'm perfectly happy with just getting a regular board game in exchange because I think I got maybe Colbaron for that. Which, yeah, yeah. compared as far as price goes, they got the better deal. But I felt like I got the, a better game out of it. But they probably think opposite. <laughs> and I think that that's really cool and interesting. I think there's this element also of kind of you're trading games for games, so it just kind of feels more pure <laughs> in a, in Very a weird true. sense. Yeah. You're just kind of like, you know, it's like keeping it inside the hobby and uh, it's just kind of for fun and it's just kind of fun to like just participate in something just totally just weird. Um, that's kind of an element for me as well, I think. 
yeah, you've gotten what you're going to get out of the game and now you're passing it on to somebody else. Definitely. Have you ever done math trades, Justine? Um, Matt and I tried to this year for SaltCon, but I think I didn't have a chance to look at it, but I think Matt got intimidated by the want list generator and all the check boxes and stuff he still was talking about. Um, I'm interested in the concept. I think it's cool that, especially like the way SaltCon does it, that it just kind of works. I got to see what it looks like um, at SaltCon this year, and it was amazing that there's just these games on these shelves and they can just be there. Um, so I'm interested in trying it. Maybe I'd just have to have like Haristo sit down and walk me through how to set up a math trade. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The first time I did it, it took me a few hours to reading through guides and stuff and making sense of it. And some things are just not documented, which is a feature of software programmers. Sometimes they just make features and they don't really document them. And uh, yeah, I kind of just like got it from forum posts, really, is how you kind of <laughs> learn what some things do, which is just crazy. Uh, they've been talking about reorganizing it, rewriting it, but it's been the same for 20 years almost now so it's 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 weird it's weird it's this weird thing that only happens with board games i doubt there's math trades for really anything else or just barter trades hardly for anything else in the world probably right now other than just board games yeah it's kind of a weird thing it's another great example of how trustworthy the the board game community is it's it's pretty it's pretty neat actually yep oh that's nice so other than math trades, another thing that I frequently use is boardgameprices.com. Um, I have very little to say about it. Basically, I think it was uh, it was made in 2007. I clicked on their about page. They have about six people team as well. So a very small kind of tiny uh, team. Uh, what they do is I think it was probably inspired by those websites, which I don't know if you guys used it back in the day. Price Grabber comes to mind. Price Grabber was for PC components for me. Uh, basically, it's kind of an aggregator for for stores to find like you're looking for a particular product and which store sells it the cheapest on the internet that was the whole uh, idea i think they've fallen a little bit out of fashion i do use a lot um it actually used to be called frugal like f-r-o-o-g-l-e like kind of like google but frugal you know frugal it's like you're um, that's uh you're being careful with your it, money yeah, I like yeah. You're being careful with your money, but it's F R O O G L. Oh, I see. Like spelled like I see. Google. Yeah. So it's a it's a play on words. It's it's hilarious. They kind of deprecated that actually, and now it's called just Google Shopping. So Google slash Shopping. Uh, but it, I actually remember the launch in 2009 or 10 or something or seven when it was called Frugal, and they were actually pushing Frugal, and I think someone didn't like it, and they just like the the domain still works. By the way, if you type Frugal.com, it's like one of those old things. Uh, same thing as. Uh, Amazon used to be called something else and the domain name still works actually it's crazy I can't remember but anyway the, all this like weird internet stuff so uh, I use that still to when I purchase things I don't just go on Amazon and buy it I usually just go on Google shopping and they aggregate prices from 
websites and even eBay now. So you can see like eBay plus the rest of the internet where you can find it cheaper and kind of what it looks like. Uh, so that was that idea, but just for board games in particular. And I think um, at first they started only with a few stores and they added more and more stores. I wasn't really using it before 2013, 14-ish. And that's actually when their interface kind of, I also went on the Wayback Machine and looked at their interface and just how the website looked. And it looked kind of really old school before 2014. I think in 2014 is when it acquired this like more modern look, which I actually like a lot. Um, and that's when I think I started using it a lot. Uh, the concept is very simple. All the board game stores everywhere, um, or I guess maybe not the local game stores because they don't have an online presence, but stores which sell online register there, or I don't know if they get them to get send them their prices, or I don't know how the back end works, but basically there's an aggregation of all prices and you can find the cheapest way place to f buy a particular game. Now, I think this concept works a lot better if you're buying games in bulk because of the shipping issues, because if you're buying single games, usually shipping is at least $5 on top. So you think you might be saving stuff, but maybe the local game store is just the same. But I think if you're buying games in bulk, you can save a good like $20, $30 by buying online uh, with their free shipping if you buy a lot of games kind of a thing which is what i used to do a lot not so much anymore um so oh yeah camel 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 i don't know if you've heard of that one that one is a price aggregator for amazon particularly it tracks prices over time that's just a note that I had here so all these like it was kind of like one of those tools i think inspired by one of those tools um i think out of their six people again two people are only developing so again very kind of lightweight operation just kind of very this nerdy thing. One thing that, uh, that I found interesting about it is they had a newsletter, which I used to read sometimes because their news were actually written really well. I think there's a dedicated person who writes news, so that's probably why. They used to publish it every few days or maybe, I don't know, maybe once a week. Uh, it had a nice overview of new games coming out, screenshots, interesting Kickstarters, stuff like that. And I clicked on that yesterday and it took me to a new website which i didn't even realize before but they have uh, this thing called board game atlas now and i was really fascinated because board game atlas i think is trying to be the new bgg which is really crazy but with the price integration of uh board game prices they have things like um game ratings uh, i think it only was launched like two months ago because uh there was this article about features of board game atlas and what what what's cool about it and it was dated about two months ago so i think it's like super brand new it just launched looks very sleek and it kind of uh, runs just way faster uh you can kind of feel just the it's kind of written in a very uh, new uh, way with new tools and just kind of more responsive than BGG. BGG is a little bit more old school. I still like it a lot, actually. I have no problems with BGG whatsoever. I don't really think it needs a redesign. But uh, Board Game Atlas is just like super fast. They have these like fancy pie charts of tracking statistics for you. So they're going big on like statistics of games played, what day of the week you play games, how much time you spent playing on particular games. They have, uh, like I say, ratings. They have pictures, videos, reviews. They, I think literally they're trying to be the new BGG, which is really crazy to me. Uh, so kind of surprising. Maybe that's coming up in the future as a competitor to BGG. But 
for now, uh, board game prices is what I like to use. Um, if you guys use board game prices, I know you guys prefer to buy locally most of the time, but I don't know. No. Uh, yeah, I, I like to buy from storefronts personally. Um, very seldom do I go online. That's only if I cannot find a game or in the board game store, can't get it in. Um, yeah. Kadabra, yeah. I think, is what Amazon used to be called. Or Abracadabra uh, or something like that. Up. Oh, yes, Abracadabra. I think, no, maybe. Maybe you're right, yeah. I was just surprised at how weird it is, and it read, read, redirects to Amazon.com. Oh, I'll yeah. try to find it, but yeah, g- give me more comments on uh, board game <laughs> prices, if any. Uh, anyway, yeah, but if you're, I think, yeah, to your point, if you're buying um, bulk, uh, not buying bulk games, I think it makes maybe more sense to support local, but I think it make it becomes more difficult if you're spending a lot more um, than you're buying a lot of games, maybe. For me, at least, I don't know. You guys might feel differently about it. None yeah, for me. Do you guys feel like BGG one needs a replacement or a competitor? I don't know. I mean, I think if they come up with something better than BGG, I would use it. But I don't know. I'm just kind of comfortable with that. I go to it. I start typing B in my phone, and it comes up. It, yeah. Yeah, for I'm comfortable with it, and like I would hate to see them go under because they've been here for so long, and I just yeah. feel like they their heads are in the right place or their hearts rather, and uh, I would rather them prevail than anything else. But competition's always yeah. good because then it it forces the the other side to uh, push to get better. But it already sounds like they're already trying to do that, you know. So I don't know. Uh, relentless.com uh, they were trying to find the name sorry to keep switching back to it Amazon used to be called uh, awake.com browse.com bookmall.com relentless.com they actually registered relentless and kept it so if you go to relentless.com it's goes to Amazon just kind of a <laughs> random fact all these like old experiments that still work. Um, I also think Facebook we used to be called the Facebook, and if you go to the Facebook, also it still works. <laughs> the Facebook.com before they dropped the. Uh, anyway, random randomness, random distractions. Um, I'm actually kind of interested in where this uh, um, board game atlas thing goes. I'm I'm curious if I don't know. I kind of don't want there to be two places to go to check on board games, but also I think BGG has just like stood alone for a while and maybe it's going to be good for them to have competition as well. I don't know. It's weird. So that's it. That's uh, Those were some tools that I like using online. And unless you guys have anything to say, we can go forward. Nope. All right, so that was our topic. So up next is our top three party games. All right, party games. I think we might have our own definition of these, but I think we'll kind of, our opinions of party games will match at least a little bit. Now, for me, I think that a party game means that it's going to be a little bit on the light side, on the fun side, and on the high player count side. 
that's kind of what I focused on. Games that you could play with a big group that are more fun, maybe induce some laughter. Basically, that's how I can I put together my list. Yeah, I agree. Basically, your definition is really good. Uh, kind of higher player count, I'd say louder games, louder games. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually games that are more serious or not so much party. Um, games where you talk to other people a lot, uh, a lot of like social interaction. That's also a social deduction. Actually, social deduction has a lot of overlaps with party games, but to me, party games are more mm, kind of like less about finding out what people are, but rather just doing an activity together and having fun. That's kind of what it comes down to for me. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't have any social deduction games on my list just because I do think party games are more... I don't know. It's just kind of hanging out with your friends. There's some competition, but it's not like serious. Yeah. I feel like, um, social deduction games are like a, like a subgenre of party games. I think we could probably create, um, a list in itself of social deduction games. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it. Number three. Uh, my number three is higher on somebody's list, so I'm going to talk about it when they talk about it. All right, so my number three is Cult Express. Cult Express is a programmable movement game, but it's one of those that don't take too much thought because if you put too much thought into it, you might get your heart broken because what you're doing is you're playing cards, which these cards are going to be certain actions, and you're on this 3D train and you're robbing this train and trying to get this as much loot as you can. So you can move from train to train, go up to the top of the train, go to the bottom of the train. You could punch, and you could do certain things. And you're playing these cards down, sometimes face up, sometimes face down. But then you reverse the cards, and you play them out kind of like a movie, and you just kind of see what happens. It feels like a party game to me because I don't take it so serious. It also plays two to six players, So not the highest of player count. And it falls about 40 minutes or so. But there's a lot of laughter inducing moments where like you go to punch and the person just basically punches the air because nobody's there, you know, because you didn't know that they were going to move. And to me, it's a lot of fun. And every time I've played this game, I could play it with casual players. I could also play it with um, some actual game, game board players. But to me, it's always been just this fun experience. And that's why it's my number three, Colt Express. I really like Colt Express. Uh, I'd put it as more of light programming game, but yeah, it could definitely work as a party game as well. I think it's fun. Um, I always enjoy playing it. Uh, my number three is Pictomania. Pictomania is by Vlada Hvatil. Uh, it recently had a second edition. I think I like the first edition better. The second edition is with pencils and paper. The first edition is with markers and dry erase markers and boards. And also the uh, first edition was a little bit more hardcore, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, party game being hardcore is kind of a hilarious statement, but... It's kind of had more confusion because what the game is, uh, is you draw fast uh, some kind of a word out of several very similar words. Uh, they're very, they get really weird. 
as well, concepts of like feelings and stuff and not just physical things. So it's kind of really hard to see what you're drawing or guess what you're drawing. But you're incentivized to, to make a good drawing because there's a scoring system in which you get rewarded for basically drawing well, also fast, but you're also re rewarded for guessing what other people's uh, drawings are quickly and correctly as well so there's this kind of madness of um, everyone starts to draw and then everyone starts guessing right away what things are and it's usually pretty funny i'm really bad at the game actually um maybe i'm just i just haven't played with it people who i'm not under the same wavelength as far as what what i'm drawing and what i'm going for maybe because there's an element of you know when it gets a little bit abstract you need to be on the same way of thinking about <laughs> things with uh, as other people but i've always had fun with it um, i've only played it like three or four times i think um, and uh it's really fun game uh a lot of just enjoyment i like drawing i like the aspect of drawing quickly and uh, getting something across quickly it works really well um if anything it's a little bit difficult but i don't mind that and that's pictomania I've never played this game before. I've played it with my nieces who range from like, I think at the time they were five to 12. I don't know. I'm not good at ages, but it was way fun. And it's a really good family game. Nice. Number two. Uh, my number two is also higher on somebody's list, so I'll talk about it then. All right, so my number two is Subtext. Subtext is by Wolfgang Warsh, so it's basically a different version of another game. <laughs> Dixit, basically. It's Dixit, except you're drawing pictures instead of having pictures on cards. So, like, each round, one player is going to, like, be the dealer... This player looks at their words, so they have words on cards, and they pick one, and then they shuffle it with everybody else's cards, and then those get distributed out. So you and one other player are going to have the same word, but nobody knows who, including the dealer. The dealer's going to draw a picture. Everybody's going to draw a picture for the, the, to hint towards the card that they have, and everybody's going to put it out. And you're trying to connect with the person who got your card. And then you take guesses of which whose is whose. And you get points like Dixit type style. I like this game a lot because it it's a drawing game that you don't have to be good at drawing. In fact, one person in our group said that you would benefit from not drawing very well. And it's kind of laughter inducing as well. And it plays four to eight players. So you have to have four players around. And it's pretty short. And I like it better than Dixit, personally. I like the drawing aspect of it. And that's why it's my number two subtext. Yeah, I definitely like it better than Dixit. I like most games better than Dixit, though. But Dixit <laughs> is fine once in a while. Um, it's just too simple. Uh, I like drawing games, actually. Drawing games are a lot of fun. I was thinking about illustrations as well, but meh. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit too mass market for me. Uh, my number two, though, is Deception Murder in Hong Kong. 
Uh, this kind of bridges the game that gets close to uh, social deduction games. Uh, not really social, though. It's just a deduction game. So um, what the game is, is uh, there's been a murder committed, and the murderer is out there, and there's a person who gives the whole table clues of who the murderer is, and everyone has a bunch of uh, means and uh, tools or something, I think, of potential murder. And they're just uh, really weird, like means, I think, like what the murder was committed with, not tools, but leftovers or what was found at the scene. So there's just things like objects, um, like saw or blood or sunglasses or something. So there is a person who kind of runs the game, which is a little bit of a downside for the game because there's um, one person that's kind of not really playing he's kind of a game master kind of a role but i actually enjoy that role as well which makes the game just fine um the person who uh has that role knows who the murderer is and tries to communicate with the group uh with concepts um so they could be things like characteristics of the body or like what the environment was or what the weather was or their astrological sign or something was someone was joking oh, yeah. um i don't know if astrological signs actually a feature but they were just joking <laughs> that they're the the things that are uh, out there may or may not help you in identifying who the murderer is. So there might be kind of just... Then there's a mechanism for the person to the uh, giving clues to get rid of those useless things that are just deceiving the group. Uh, what I like about the game is it's uh, really kind of a cool game where you just hang, get to hang out with people, but there's a, kind of definitely a game there of trying to kind of figure out collectively who... Uh, better best fits the description there's kind of a mind uh, i like those games where there's a you're trying to communicate some concept and it's kind of obscured so that game has that in spades because you can't directly point to someone uh, by the clues given uh but you kind of indirectly are trying to push people towards choosing someone based on some feature in particular so of maybe the what they committed the murder with or like some kind of a logical thing and what's really cool the game also with the game also is that it kind of builds a story of you know as the clue giver you kind of build this story in your mind of like the murderer like went to the park and he was holding a syringe and like he hid behind the bush and jumped out and you know like there's this kind of story that emerges in your head just by as a byproduct of just playing the game um it's designed well and the objects are kind of very kind of strange but that kind of makes the game more fun as well i think they're very not not standard is what i'm saying i, I don't know if i have examples but just look it up if you're curious but overall a uh, really great game uh deception murdering hong kong i've always had fun playing this game with people uh, yeah i think it's a great game i think it's a good example of a party game and i think it's a really good social deduction game i think a lot of social deduction games um rely on players almost role playing where in this one you don't have to whatsoever for it to be fun and interesting but however you can role play but either way to me it feels very thematic because it does feel like you're trying to figure out who did what with what and left what behind and it could be actually pretty funny. As Fristo was saying, you could build up the story. And depending on the weapon and what they left behind at the end, when you find out who it is, 
it's it could be comical also it i think it it plays it scales really well because it'll add in different roles uh, depending on the yeah. player count and i think yeah, that's really cool to add players, a witness i think there's just yeah sorry go ahead yeah i think it's really cool to add like the witness so um um i, I just think it scales very well i think it's a great game yeah, just a comment on that. Uh, I wouldn't say well, when there's few players, there's only the murderer, but when there's more players, there's people that are kind of trying to cover up for him. So there's maybe multiple people kind of sneakily arguing for uh, someone that seems to fit a story, but it's wrong. So kind of, yeah, like to Brandon's point, I think uh, scales well. Yeah, thematic too. So if the if the witness is found out, then they could kill the witness and then get away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll move on and finally let Justine have a list. Yay. <laughs> number 1. Finally. Um so my number 1 is Monikers. So this game I don't know if there's a limit to how many people you can play it with, but you play it in two teams. Um, everybody selects cards to be put in and on the cards are like famous people or things, uh, memes, um, stuff like that. And it's played in over rounds. So the first round you're trying to communicate to your team using, um, you can talk to them. And then the next round you can only do, what is it? One word? I yeah, can't remember yeah, it's one word. No, you got one it. One word, yeah. One and word, the third round just And it can get, like, you can keep going and get crazy and do, like, only your head and only behind, <laughs> yeah. your hand behind a couch. Um, it's a really fun game, and I still remember the first time I played it. I'm a very introverted, shy person. I don't think, I don't know. Um, and it got brought up that people wanted to play it at the board game group. And I think it was like my first or second time there. And I was like, Oh no way. <laughs> like I'm not playing this game, but I was convinced to play it. And it ended up being so much fun. I Like, I think even if you're shy, you end up just kind of getting lost in how much fun everybody's having. And yeah. So when you get to the charades, you might end up having to, make a little bit of a fool of yourself, but so does everybody else. So it ends up just being a great big laugh for everyone involved. Yeah. I actually remember this, Justine. I had brought it and it was like your uh -huh. second time being there. And you said, what kind of game is it? And I'm like, it's a party game. And I kind of explained it to you. And yeah, you, you wanted to pass, <laughs> but I was, yeah, like, I was like, I was like, no, yeah, I was like, give it a chance. And I think, um, shy people that, that see, and that's hard for to, to join any group being new and then have to play this type of game. But I think yeah. when you see people making fools of themselves and everybody laughing and having a good time and nobody making judgments in any way that it, it helps open people yeah. up. And I think that's a great game to do it. I really like this game. This is an honorable mention of mine. Um, I've never not laughed while playing this game, like gut laugh sometimes too, even at myself oh, yeah, as well. And yeah, some I've had tears, yeah, I've yeah. Cried from laughing so hard playing this game. And I think you're right. I don't think there's much of a limit. I think you could actually break it up into more than just two teams. You could do like three teams or whatnot. Or, or uh, there's mm -hmm. another way of doing uh, teams of two. Like so, you could just have 
partners. So there's there's a lot of different uh, ways to play it. Some of the material on the cards might be offensive to some people. Our board gaming yes. group have never come in contact with that. But if you want, if you're kind of afraid of that and you're seeking this game, but you want it to be a little less offensive or you're afraid it might be offensive, there's a game just like it called Time's Up. And that's a bit more family friendly, but it's the, almost the exact same game. Yeah, I was going to say exactly what you guys are saying. This game kind of gets your blood going somehow. I don't know how, but uh, it has the magic of, you know, at the beginning, you're just like, eh, whatever. And then by the end, you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to like do this pantomime and everyone's going to guess what the word is and everyone's laughing and it's always a good time. Uh, What I think is really cool about the game is the things on the cards are not boring like all tv stuff which a lot of trivia games kind of slip into uh they're really kind of currents and cool things that are like on the internet and just like science stuff and personalities from just like really kind of more creative stuff i think which um someone made the point of it's hard to write a good trivia question or good make a good trivia game and i think this game uh is well done generally as a kind of just the stuff that's on the cards is entertaining as well and i get excited about trying to get people to guess uh so that's um, definitely honorable mission of mine as well yeah it's interesting well and every oh. go ahead Justine. sorry i was gonna say every card has an explanation of what it's referring to mm-hmm. so if you end up with something you just don't know there's an out for you I think you could just straight up read the card too, which I personally don't like, yeah. but if you, you don't know what it is, you can skip it. That's yeah. You if can you haven't skip played it. the game before, you can just skip a card completely. It's like, I don't like this. So I'm doing the next one. I think it's always, it's interesting for me to play with different age groups with this because certain age groups will put in different things. A lot of like the internet ones will get thrown in there. Cause you could pick, you get 10 cards. Everybody gets 10 cards. They put in five that they want in. And it's part like memory game too, of remembering what you put in and you get to see every card every round because you're using the same cards every round. So it's part memory game as well. But it's kind of funny to me of like, you know, we were talking about back to the future earlier. Some of the younger people that I've played with don't get the back to the future references. And then I won't get some of the memes, you know, and I just find it. And so what I'm saying is that it like caters to all ages as well. So my number one was on lower on Justine's list, and that's just one. Yes. Um, so just one was my number three, and that was only because it only plays up to seven people. So I had a hard time putting it on a list of party games just because like with monikers, you can play any number of people with other um, games that we've mentioned. It plays a big group. But it is so much fun. And I think we've talked about this, not on the podcast before, but the fact that in just one, it's one of those party games that's almost more fun with like board game thinky people than Mm -hmm. not board game thinky people. I think we have a really good time playing it as a group and like getting into each other's heads and trying to go obscure, but not too obscure. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, when I bought this game, I was like, ah, it, I'm interested in it and it, it might not work. But I was surprised how well it worked with our board gaming group. 
which usually plays mid to heavyweight games. We'll play everything, but but that's what we're striving to get to the table. This game is you pull a card and you have uh, five words on the card and you don't see them. You put it on this little tray that also acts as a dry erase board. And then everybody sees, you pick a number, everybody sees that word and everybody secretly writes a word to get you to say that word. But if, and then the person turns around and everybody shows, and if anybody's written the same word, then those get deleted. So you could turn around and only have one clue in front of you. But if you're playing well, everybody's going to have a different clue and you could uh, be able to guess, hopefully very easy. Um, It's challenging. We've tried to get a perfect score, which I think is 11 cards. I think we've gotten up to 13. Eight. I it's 13. 13. Okay. Yeah, 13 I think is, we, I yeah, think 11 I was, 13. was what we got. I think that was our high score was 11 where we've, we played this game a lot and always tried to get a perfect game, even to the point where I played once and we missed one and we said, let's start over, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. We've done that a lot, but I've played with non gamers and although they understand the game, cause it's very easy to understand and they do have fun. I found it, like Justine was saying, so much more interesting to play with seasoned gamers because they're really trying, you're really thinking about what word to put down. You have this scale of you want to go obscure so you don't write something that everybody else does, but you don't want to go so obscure that the person can't guess it. It's cooperative. You're all working together. And I love those moments in it where the person has it. And Christo has this thing where he'll verbalize his thoughts while playing this game he'll go through everything it can be he's like you know i'm I'm leaning towards this and we had another player that would get it that would pre get excited for his word right and uh that was always really funny and this has like a um like just it's gonna have great memories for me i've played it so many times it plays three to seven you have to have three three is a bit harder but i think you write two words down in a three-player game and it plays up to seven. And to me, counter to what Justine thinks, seven is a party to me in my older age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want a party yeah, bigger I, than seven. I think seven is plenty for a party game. It's just fine. But I know what you're saying, Justine. Like, you know, a lot of these games will play at least up to eight. But yeah, that's why it's my number one. Just one. <laughs> This one's all, always a good time, an honorable mention of mine. Um, it's a very, very simple game, and it's kind of a co-op game, actually, if you think about it. It's basically co-op. Uh, there's no really That's completely or anything. Even. Yeah, it's completely co-op. Yeah. But it's uh, somehow fun to play to get in each other's heads and try to make obscure references to words. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I'd say the game is also easier with more people uh, that if you want to win play yep. with seven mm-hmm. you have a much higher chance to win don't play with four uh, my number one is code names and uh, code names was actually Justine's number two so I'll let her go in and talk about it um, so code names has gotten to be huge like now if you go to the board game store there's every type of code names imaginable um so there's code names code names pictures code names after dark um ip code names like marvel and disney 
The Simpsons they just came out with. Simpsons. Two-player version, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Duet's really good. Um, I like Codenames. Again, it has the same thing as Monikers, where you can basically have teams of whatever size you want. You can play it as one big team where there's one clue giver and a whole bunch of people who aren't, or you can play it with two teams um, and they can be as big as you want them to be. And I like this too, because they don't necessarily have to be even. It helps if they're even teams, but I've played the, I've played code names before where they're uneven teams. Yeah. Cause there's no um, turn taking, right? There's just discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of has the same thing as just one that Brandon was like listening, being the clue giver and listening to people talk about their, what they're thinking is one of the most frustrating experiences Um, at Matt's family's house. When we play this, his mom has to like hide her face. I have to (laughs) like put my head down on the table and not listen. Um, It's, it's just a really fun game and you end up like getting into these arguments that normally would sound so rude. Like I think we've had talks about like, well, does, does so-and-so know about this connection? Do they get that? (laughs) Are they that kind of person? They don't know nothing about books. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's, it's kind of fun. Are you smart enough to get this? I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah. The example in the rule book is like, do they know a carrot's a vegetable? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds inoffensive, but yeah, I see what you mean. Code names almost uh, when it came out and since then it's kind of been turned into this almost mass market game where it's almost like Mm -hmm. Monopoly, I would say, with modern board games or something. But I will take all the criticisms that it's too popular and just boring and you're just staring at words and like all these like whatever people say i still like it a lot um it's really cool game where you get to jump in and maybe out even you don't even have to be in since the beginning of the game it kind of helps to know the previous words and what was discussed previously but uh really cool game um i would say i like the deduction aspect of it of uh trying to just not just point to your words but also choose words that are not the other team's words or try to do like exclusions and things um kind of a genius design um i was kind of getting tired of it uh, a little bit when i was going to this place where they're playing it just over and over every single time so i don't know if i can handle playing it every single day but once in a while i think it's still a great game to go back to so yeah code names yeah it's an honorable mention of mine. I, I really like code names. I, I like the the puzzle of trying to link words together. I think that's very fascinating to me. I like word games in general, and that's a really good word game. Speaking of which, are we going into honorable mentions? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of word games, I have Letter Jam. Uh, that's a really, really good game. The reason it's not on my list is... Uh, it's maybe not so much of a party. <laughs> four. It's, it's more like wait, kind no. of a serious word game, really. Wait, how many does this play up huh? to? I was thinking four. That's not correct. Six. No. Oh, it plays six, a six. Or okay. Something. Yeah. 
actually six is probably the better uh, player count and also the most difficult because everyone is playing and there's a mechanism where you can't have these like free letters kind of in a way so yeah uh letter jam really good game uh, another game which i think is kind of people think it's like too childish or something or just too family sheriff of nottingham i think that game is uh kind of simple yes and kind of random but i think uh it's got something that is very difficult to achieve i think in board games is the feeling of like tension um the feeling of can i get away with something and just kind of how lying makes you feel actually as you lie to the faces of people very interesting kind of exploration of just the feeling of lying to people and the feeling of committing a crime and getting away with it so sheriff of nottingham oddly enough game feels actually, really good huh, huh? feels really good to lie in that game for some reason if you get away with it uh actually to me it doesn't that's really weird i really struggle with the concept of lying in games and that game is like the game where you have to be good at lying and to me it's always just kind of like i have just three apples in there i don't (laughs) like lying in real life (laughs) i try to refuse to lie in real life that's why i like it in the game and to me it's like this exercise of how good of an actor am i you know poker yeah, face maybe i'm not the good actor also that's why i struggle with that the really good feeling of lying oh if you want a really good paranoia game which i did not put on my list because i freaking hate that game is spyfall <laughs> that's oh, a yeah. really good like paranoia like uh oh. basically kind of sweating kind of a game where just like <laughs> they're all out to get me yeah oh yeah <laughs> you know i don't uh, like that. Game. which that game i which so nervous yes which is why i don't like it is because i feel like it's like seven people having a good time and one person just like struggling <laughs> to, exactly <laughs> to survive so but it's a popular party game out there not really a normal mission it just kind of came to mind as a good exercise and just kind of paranoia um well, a game i really like actually is concept um i didn't put it on because again it's kind of a quieter game i think it's more like a pantomime with cubes kind of a game or again i like games where there's unclear concepts and you're trying to communicate them usually and that's a game where you're given a concept and you're trying to communicate it with icons basically so you're trying to like say it's hot or like it's tall and it's round and whatever and people try to try to guess the word i think it works really well i really like that game i don't know if other people do as much but if if i could i'd play it more frequently i just think other people don't like it as much as me concept not much of a game either it's just kind of an activity of like describe the word with icons that's really all it is um another honorable mention with words is weird words um, i had a good time playing that game the few times we played it um kind of a weird game but you're again trying to gosh i can't even remember what the game is it's like trying to it's, guess the word right? it's like 20 questions with a traitor yeah oh yeah and basically you shout out questions and you're trying to just uh, by yes or no get to the word mm-hmm. uh yeah that's it that's all that's all it is and yes there's a trader which could be the person giving the word which is usually just really weird uh that's trying to deceive you kind of yeah i i had a good time with that game yeah not it's not the, like a super high tier game for me but i would always play it so that's that's all for me um letter jam i would almost argue that it's not a party game i feel like it's a word game 
a cooperative word game yeah. and maybe it got lumped into a party game because it plays up to six but this kind of party is like a super rich person's party where they're sitting around sipping scotch barely talking to each other but i like it a lot <laughs> i think it's a great game i just uh doesn't feel like a party game to me so this is how i'm going to do my honorable mentions if you want a really different game and exercise of trying to communicate in different languages first contact um what a great game i like don't mess with cthulhu i was kind of on the fence if it was a party game or not it feels kind of party-ish but it's social deduction um and if you like werewolf just regular werewolf i would personally um suggest witch hunt i think it's a better made game um and if you like chaos secrets always fun chaotic uh, I forgot about party secrets. party game. game. Yeah, and uh, Decrypto for me is really fun. I don't like the expansion. I think that makes it really really difficult, and it's already difficult as is. But I do like Decrypto, and those are my honorable mentions. Um, my honorable mentions. I think you guys covered most of them. I they'd be like Decrypto. Decrypto didn't make my list because I forgot it existed. Um, I'm starving for a group of people to play board games with. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't. <laughs> we we were joking to call this game top three games that you can't play right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Unless you have a really big family. Um, yeah. yeah, I think you guys hit all my favorite party games. Um, Decrypto is a great game. Letter Jam just makes me sad, but that's because I've never been good at spelling. <laughs> I mean, I love the very end, the reveal of what your actual word was, um, but I've just never been good at spelling. So finding out my letters is just, a, oh, it takes me back to my spelling tests in school and I hate it. Um, yeah. I, there are some great party games out there. I guess my only the only other one I'd add is Wavelength. Um, it's the new one by Wolfgang Warsh. I think, I don't know. I mean, it, it definitely didn't make my list. It's not like the best party game out there, but it's definitely fun and interesting. You have to kind of know the people that you're playing with, though. If you don't know them, then it's going to be impossible. I, I like wavelength. Yeah. Um, there's been a couple people in our group that like kind of despise it, but I I have fun playing it. I think it's a good like filler yeah. party game. It could be really short. If you're but talking it's just fun. about if you're talking about me, I don't despise it. I just think it's kind of random though. Wavelength, it's fine. It's okay as an activity, but like if it's if that thing is at like thirty seven percent, like are you gonna really communicate thirty seven percent to your group? Like you gotta be kidding me, you know? It's yeah, it's um, kind of funny. I don't know. No, I wasn't thinking of you. I, I didn't see hatred in your eyes when we played it, which I have seen before, <laughs> <laughs> but not in this game. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, the crypto actually. I I thought about that game a lot. I think the concept is really cool, and um, uh, I like it in theory. In practice, it's just kind of a difficult game that tends to kind of drag, and it's prone to just these mistakes that are irreparable. And the expansion makes it even more difficult. To Brandon's point, and I I almost would rather actually play Code Names. Sadly, um, I don't know I if I'm argue. gonna get like destroyed by. 
people <laughs> crucified for this uh, statement, but it's it's kind of too much or too difficult and prone to errors to be that good, in my opinion. I don't know. It's weird. How many times have you gotten stuck on a team with Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, my recommendation is don't get elevate stuck the difficulty. Matt. Yeah, Matt goes obscure with just one as well. And uh -huh. I always like his explanations for why he chose a certain word. And it always makes sense. It's just like, wow, that's yeah, that's a fascinating look into your yeah, brain. I didn't think about that. So that's usually my response. <laughs> yes. No, but At no. At least with just one. Oh, sorry. Christo's right about the crypto, whereas like if you have a player that doesn't fully understand, it could really just wreck it. And if, mm -hmm. you, if you're not on top of like, hey, I think they're starting to figure this out. We need to go in a different direction. But you can't really communicate that. So it could mm -hmm. be difficult. But if you're playing with uh, people that understand the game and have played several times before, it could be a really interesting game. But it could all fall apart if you're playing with the wrong people. Yeah. And it is not error proof. If you make a mistake, you are in. There's no going back. Yeah, the other thing is there's a lot of time pressure, and I think like it's kind of crazy. There's also luck with words that are very similar to each other. Sometimes there's just all these like things that I don't know. There's this timer, and even you can make a mistake just because you can't think of anything better. And it's like, oh, I wish I could be better at this, but I'm not, and that's all I got. And it's a mistake, and your team is dragged down because of it. You know, there's all kinds of these like. I don't know, just situations. But because of the timer, the game doesn't go on forever. That's yeah, true. I guess. All right. So what are your guys' top three favorite party games? You can email us at cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, www.cardsandcubes.com. And there is a contact on our page and you could let us know what yours are. So with that said, this is the conclusion of our show we'd like to thank you for listening and thank lindsey hobbs for composing the theme that you're hearing and kirsten adams for designing our logo you can find her art at instagram at cat coffee that's k-a-t-c-o-f-f-e-e -E. cards and cubes have been a production of pod cauldron listen to other great podcasts on the pod cauldron network including bub club a horror movie podcast and rabble 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 a humorous look at current events thank you and we will be with you next time 